the Black Light Mass Incarceration Show. I am your host, Sierra Cobb. Black Light Mass Incarceration Show is a space that is used to uplift the unheard voices of the criminal and social justice issues that many face today. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you enjoy. Sponsored by Emancipate NC. Welcome, Black Light listeners. Welcome back for another episode. Hey, everybody. How y'all doing today? I'm Justin Collins. We hope y'all are doing well. Today's show is on contradictions in the law and the history on the Black people and how it did not apply to them in today. So we do have an interview on a young gentleman that we had that was explaining certain situations contradictions in the law and uh, emphasizing on black, the black code started in the 1800s and et cetera. And um, I know my wife, she knows a lot about it. You want to explain some of it, I do. Um, I have this wonderful article by our partner, um, Vera. We are, we have partnered with Vera to work to end mass incarceration in the jails. And they came out with this wonderful article a few years ago. And so it explains in depth the black history of targeting intentionally discriminating criminal laws. And like you heard my husband say earlier about the black code. So I'm just going to read a little bit just to give you all a little bit of history in case you, you know, don't really know. Um, It says racial disparities in a criminal justice system have deep roots in America history and penal policy. In the South, following emancipation, black Americans were specifically targeted for unique forms of policing, sentencing, and confinement laws that capitalize on the loophole of the 13th Amendment that states citizens cannot be enslaved unless convicted of a criminal intentional targeted newly emancipated black people as a means of surveilling them and exploiting their labor. In 1865 and 1866, the former Confederate legislators quickly enacted a new set of laws known as the Black Codes to enforce former slaves back into exploitive labor system that resembles the plantation regimen in all times, which are called prisons today. Although these codes did not recognize the new legal statutes of black Americans, the more states newly freed people could not vote, serve on juries, or testify in courts. The vagrancy laws at the center of the black codes meant that any black person who could not prove he or she worked for a white employer could be arrested. These vagrants most often entered a system of incarceration administration by a private industry known as convict leasing. This system allowed for the virtual enslavement of people who have been convicted of a crime, even if those crimes were for things like walking without a purpose or walking at night, for which law enforcement officials in the South aggressively targeted black people. So, so you mean to tell me that if I didn't have a purpose of walking out on the sidewalk, that they're going to come and arrest me? No, what they were saying, if, if you couldn't prove that, yeah, that you didn't have a purpose of being out at night because you were black, 
that you could be arrested. And if you did not prove that you worked for a white person, you could be arrested. So was this so this was the upcoming for pre uh Jim Crow or this was before Jim Crow? This was before Jim Crow because this was eighteen sixty five to eighteen sixty six. But this, yeah, and so this is where incarceration came from because then they called it, you know, chattel slavery was gone, but so unless you committed a crime, like the 13th Amendment said, you cannot be enslaved. So then that's when they started with the vagrancy laws and then started leasing, convict leasing. (laughs) Cause I feel like we was never free when Abraham Lincoln did it. Cause I just feel like he just freed us as slaves. Well, no, we wasn't free. I mean, because it says right here, it says the Northern states also turned to criminal justice system to exert social control over free black Americans. Cause you know, once supposedly chattel slavery was over, most of the slaves followed Harriet Tubman up to the North. Okay, so then they were like, okay, we got too many free black bodies here. So now we have to start exploiting them. And it says Americans as exploited as did their southern counterparts. But despite enforcement of various laws against suspicious characters, disorderly conduct, keeping and visiting disorderly houses, drunkenness and violation of city ordinance made possible new forms of everyday surveillance and punishment in the lives of black people in the Northeast, Midwest, and West through such criminal justice involvement was based on racist policies. The results were nevertheless used as evidence to link black people in crime. Mm. So the system was designed for us to never succeed, period. Right. Yeah, we never had a fair trial from the get-go to a land that we was never a part of. But I'm just wondering, like, how do you look at one culture and be like, you, you, basically you're nothing. You know what I'm saying? And you deserve to be slaved. And so I don't understand where they get, where we're lazy when they use our body autonomy to make billions of dollars because they feel like we aren't we aren't human. We're three fourths of a person in their eyes. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> you got to think about it though. I mean, the way I think about it is that before this time happened, what was going on, and before this time what happened, what was going on is that we was people of. The land everywhere. It wasn't just over here. Like, it was all over, over the continent, period. Right. We've been people of the land forever. Now, I'm thinking about the starting point of when the European came and then stuff started happening. Because so, I know we've been here way before they started their origin on the earth. So it's like when you're coming out of some mountains and hills, and then you coming down here thinking about you about to wreck shop. That's like jealousy and envy. And I got to teach you to do something, but you ain't feeling me, though. But you see me plural everywhere. So you just, you like, yo, we, we deserve the same rights as you. 
But by we trying to give you the same equality that we got on the land, you were you you against it. So you started confusion. Started a whole bunch of mischief and created negativity in the land because it really wasn't. Really, people really was sectioned off in their own little tribal areas, but they still had some type of unity to it. I mean, I just, I, I just, that's what I see. Like, I, because it wasn't that before then. That's what I started looking at. Like, it wasn't none of this confusion before all of this ship voyaging, these pirates, or how y'all want to call it. Because it was black pirates too. So what y'all saying? We went over with the black pirates Hades. They went to people's land and started taking it over. Because I don't, I haven't read about stuff like that. I haven't. <laughs> people, somebody could bring that to my attention too, though, because I know a lot of the pirate stuff, black pirates, come from New Orleans, Hades, and stuff like that. And so that means never... we want our listeners. Uh, shout out to our listeners that are in California, Texas, Georgia, South Carolina, Virginia, Connecticut, New York. We want we want to hear y'all's Iowa. opinion. Iowa, Wisconsin, Michigan. We want to hear y'all's opinion. Like, let us know what's going on, where y'all at, y'all's history. Like, we want to hear from all of our listeners nationwide. Australia, Canada, send us an email. I really want to know y'all's point of views on why we in such conditions that we are in today. And I want a method. I want a method, a key method to for a cure. What is a system that could really work to bring that unity period in the lands? Because ain't nobody letting up nothing off nothing easy. I mean, you would have to really go within the own contradictions of the law just to get things done. So I really want to know a movement that could be possible to start some type of unity for uh, human resources for everybody. Right. Because um, in other countries, they have human resources available for their whole continent, for their whole joint. It ain't only these certain people going to get this. So, yeah, I was talking about the land of the free, America, the land of the free. This ain't free for everybody. No. It really isn't. Hit us in the inbox. Email us at blacklight at emancipatenc.org. Like, please, y'all, like, email us. We want to hear what y'all got to say. For real. And we will be right back with that being said. Are you feeling unheard after a negative encounter with a law enforcement officer, sheriff, or correctional officer? Visit the Emancipate NC website to report your encounter. Any individual can use the Emancipate NC form to report a police encounter, upload video, photographs, or other evidence, and share their information with the U.S. Today's National Police Misconduct Database. Share it with your friends and family members and community. Our communities have the wisdom and the data we need to keep us safe from rude police. By crowdsourcing this information, we will be able to analyze departmental trends, mobilize campaigns for accountability, and file more effective litigation. Remember, we keep us safe. Sponsored by Emancipate NC. We're back. Oh, welcome back to the show. 
Now, I was informed about the Rockefeller drug law, which I don't know too much about, so I want to learn some, too. So I'm going to let my wife take over that department. Thank you. Appreciate that. So this part still comes from Vera's article, which was very informative, and I will definitely put it in the description so everybody else can read it. It says, one well-known, well-known example of disproportionate effect of race-neutral laws is New York's experiment with the enhancement sentencing of drug offenses. In 1973, New York State enacted this so-called Rockefeller drug law, a set of statutes that established mandatory minimum prison sentences for felony drug convictions. Under these laws, someone convicted of selling two ounces or possessing four ounces of heroin, uh, morphine, opium, cocaine, or marijuana face up to a minimum of 15 years in prison. The statutes provided a stark example of ways in which laws written in race-neutral terms can still impact people of different racial groups. In markedly different ways, research on the impacts of the Rockefeller drug laws and later reforms them has found the following. The number of people incarcerated for drug offenses in New York State grew from 1,488 to 22,266 between 1973 and 1999, and nearly 15 Fold increase due in part to these laws. That impact did not fall equally on people of all races. In 2001, every one white male aged 21 to 44 incarcerated under the Rockefeller laws. 40 black males of similar age were incarcerated for the same offense. A study of the 2009 reforms of Rockefeller drug laws found the removing, that removing mandatory minimum sentences and increasing access to treatment reduced racial disparities in prison sentences and decreased rates of rearrest. Wow. Like, you mean to tell me that these people put drugs in the low-income income neighborhoods, then they go back and arrest them for having the drugs that they gave them. And then they start an all-out war between two opposite gangs and say that one or the other killed one or the other, and they never did CIA. And then they make us pay for it. Well, ain't Rockefeller a family, a banking family in New York? It was a family, right? Well, I remember John D. Rockefeller. I don't know he was European. They had a lot to do with our money. The design on our money. They put a lot of that stuff on our money. Yeah, they were philanthropists. John D. was a philanthropist. Okay. I wonder how he had that much power to even put some stuff on our currency of America. Well, J.D. Morgan was... uh, J.P. Morgan, sorry. J.P. Morgan, which everybody knows that bank was also in that era as well. I mean, it's kind of fishy, though, but I guess that's a whole other episode. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just for a later date. But yeah, they did they have a lot to real do. Deep, they they had a lot to do with money and other things that they weren't supposed to be doing. But yeah. anyway, back to the the subject at hand, which is <laughs> um, how prison got started and how mandatory minimums got started. Because this is where 
technically mandatory minimums was started. And so it's went from drugs to basically any kind of crime now. Like, I mean, and then it, it that made the three strikes you're out, the habitual felon. So if you get caught three times doing the same crime, you can get life or you can get 40 or you can get 20. Um, so all of that basically... It's for minute by uh, Bill Clinton, right? Well, the bill was signed by Bill Clinton. Now, it was Biden and a lot of other senators that got that bill with the votes that it needed. Because people need to understand... It's just like the governor. The governor just signs the bill. He doesn't vote on it. He signs it. So your senators and your house are the people that vote on it. And if they vote on it, then it gets sent to the governor or the the president. So that's all that happened. The senators are the ones that came up with the bills. The president just signed it. So I don't know why people keep blaming Bill Clinton. I mean, yeah, he probably could have vetoed it. But I mean... You, at that time, you didn't have nobody stand up saying this wasn't right. I didn't hear nobody stand up saying this wasn't right because their main he point. Didn't either, though. No, he didn't. But he, at least he did come back and apologize. You Biden ain't said not a word at all. He still stands behind, and he was the main one chanting, "Lock the sobs up and throw away the key." Like you can go find on YouTube where he was chanting that, like at many of the house and their meetings that they had. So he was a big supporter of war on drugs and the 94 crime bill law. And yeah. Yeah. I mean, but that was a lot of people's lives was destroyed out there. But they didn't care because why they are getting free labor. The United States was built off the back of the slaves. You think that they were going to let that just float away because they got rid of chattel slavery? No. No. And so it goes back to what I keep saying, how Correctional Enterprises makes millions of dollars off of enslaved bodies. And they and so who was actually lazy? If we really sit down and think about this thing, who was actually really lazy that you use millions of Americans body autonomy to get free labor to go out here and make millions off of their production when you pay them nothing? It's still the same cycle. Yeah, it's the same cycle because all the prisoners is working for the main industries, farm plants and laundry, making soap and all that stuff. And they they not getting paid like that. They thirty forty cents a day, dollar a day, stuff like that. So the moral of the so story is what we basically saying is the law of the land is for certain people. And then you have laws that are for specific people and specific race and cultures. So that means that's where they contradict themselves. Because when you have the law of the land, which are for people who stand under the Constitution, and then you have the laws that are for the three-fourths of the man that doesn't stand under the Constitution, which are black people, they contradict. The black code. Yes. Right. The black code and Constitution is for those that have a nationality, which black people in America don't have a nationality at all. At all. It's impossible for somebody to be two continents. Either you you is what you is. You don't hear uh, about American European, a uh, European American. You hear about an African American, Native American, but that ain't. I don't. I mean, yo, 
you what mean? you call yourself other than what you are, then you don't even know yourself. That's what I'm saying. You was taught to say what you think that you are. In schools, literature, how can you know what you are when they took your books and give you a book to read? It's not your book. So you have to learn what's in that book that's been given. It ain't like you found it or somebody sent it to you from your, the land that you came from. No, this is a book that they gave you in the classroom and limited your reading, your knowledge, your input, your literature. Right. It's, it's, it's very not fair. Like, you really made me, you brainwashed me. You told me something that I knew that I, that I wasn't sure that I was. Like, that's really not fair. Well. You're right. It's, that's not fair at all for me to make me believe something that I'm not my, my origin. That's, that's, not, that's not fair at all. America has brainwashed people for years, though. Your country. I built your country. And a lot of people don't even know slaves used to be on the money before presidents. Right. <laughs> Crazy. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, I, Y'all tell us what y'all think. I guess I really want to hear the comments from our listeners, man. I really want to hear what y'all have to say according to y'all views and points of living in America under this Constitution that people are so proudly to represent or sing, sing the national anthem of. You will get you will get punished if you do not participate in this anthem, national anthem because we don't say that. Mm-hmm. Football games, basketball games, they will blackball you, all types of stuff. Man. Colin Kaepernick. If you do not agree. They will they will they will demolish your whole joint, take your millions, your billions in your career. <laughs> like this, that ain't speaking loud enough. I don't know what I don't know what what, what it is. I don't know. You're so really blind to the fact that what's going on. I don't know, but yeah, let us know. Hit us up. Let us let us hear your point of view. Again, the email is blacklight at emancipatenc.org. We appreciate y'all for real. Thank you for the love and support. Yes, please keep it up because we're going to keep y'all in tune. Yeah, we're going to keep bringing and it at you. The interview will be up after the commercial break. So y'all stay in tune for that. You shall. Thank you for wanting to do an episode today. You can start by telling us your name. Um, you can give location if you feel comfortable. And then you can dive into what's on your mind. Hello, my name is Theo Manley. I am an inmate in North Carolina at Warren Correctional. And this is a segment on the system. Governmental system. When I think of the system, uh, the first thing I think is where do I start? You know, do I start on probation? Do I start in the actual prison system? Do I start on law or government? Those are all acts of the system that I see put a lot of contradictions in all like law. There's a lot of contradictions in law, you know, like, for an example, someone can have a charge and it can be written a certain way. It doesn't apply as it's written. It applies to the mind as from the one 
Do you have an example? I think the felony murder is a contradiction because it states in North Carolina that you can't be charged with a crime by simply being at the wrong place at the wrong time, but you also then again can be charged with felony murder if you're at the wrong place at the wrong time and they can say that you conspired but don't have true evidence of you conspired or acting in concert. Correct, which kind of leads me to the hearsay law in North Carolina, which I believe should be unconstitutional. I believe it's a contradiction of the Constitution. You can call the police and say someone did something and, you know, they just arrest them, they take them away from their family, their job, with just a word, and Speak up for me. You're talking a little soft. Speak up for me so the audience can hear you. Okay. Um, like the hearsay law That's in fair. North Carolina, mm-hmm. I believe, is a contradiction of the Constitution, which you can call the police and say someone did something and they actually come and arrest them. I believe North Carolina is the only state that actually does this. But I believe it's a contradiction of the Constitution and should be abolished. You say someone did something and they automatically come arrest you, take you away from your family, take you away from your job just because someone says something. And you know what else contradicts hearsay is the example you just gave, but then also when you go into court and you're testifying, you can't testify to hearsay. So that makes no sense. You see what I'm saying? Like that contradicts it. So when somebody says something, they'd be like, oh, well, I heard such and such say, you will hear the judge say that's hearsay and they will strike that. They will actually come arrest you. The thing about the law is the law can be interpreted widely. I don't think people understand that. Like, it's just a basis. And it can be interpreted basically however the prosecution sees fit. It's not like a set in concrete thing. It's just the way it's interpreted and how they interpret words and actions and things of that nature. Right. So it's just basically like a mold of a thousand contradictions of different minds. <laughs> yes. You know what I'm saying? So it's not applied just as it's written. Mm-hmm. Like it's the scale. The scale weighs law and justice. But when there's a contradiction between law and Justice, law prevails over justice. You know what I mean? But when they speak speak about justice and applying law, they don't apply justice. They apply law. It's a separation between the two, which I don't believe people be actually realizing also. So when the government or whoever says justice, are they properly given justice or are they just applying law? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Good fact. Right. And there's no love in justice. There's no mercy. I mean, there's no love in law. There's no mercy in law. Well, there's no but such there thing is- as justice. There's no such thing as justice there's- in the United States. Well, there's no such thing. I believe that. There is only law. But, they, but the law says they're applying justice, but they're not. Right. Okay. When I see my law books, when I look at my law books or the law books, there's a scale. 
And you know that scale weighs law and justice. And if you notice, that scale is tipped. That's one side is higher than the other. You know, I noticed that personally just from observation, and I know that scale weighs law and justice. So on that scale, it holds law over justice. But you know that's the reason why that's that's the reason for the emblem because you know all justice has that scale as their emblem, and that's why it's that because one side it's it's lopsided it's not equal. Right. Well, like I came up with a house bill. I'm getting into a law a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. For well, people that are mental health or incompetent, you know what I mean? They used to get into Dorothy Fix. I believe they closed that down in 2012. They did. And, uh, you know, I get up and watch the news every morning, so I'm watching the news, and I noticed that they came out with the Mental Health Hotline uh, 988. So that kind of, you know, and me seeing different things in prison and prison systems, like just different inmates who are not competent to make daily decisions on their own, mm-hmm. but they are treated in harsh ways you know, by officers and things like that who don't take time with them in, you know, mental health or having these health mental issues. They don't take the time. They just take on them. They treat them any kind of way and take advantage of them. They inspire me to design a bill. Design a bill for mental health and incompetent um, patients. And the house bill number is 988, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't believe that they should be in prison around certain, you know, individuals, and they can't even make their day decisions on their own. You're, you're absolutely correct. They take advantage of them. Officers take advantage of them. They, you know what I'm saying, doing things just because they know that they lack a certain knowledge. It's not right. I believe they should be special types of help. They should be somewhere else, not in actually in prison. This bill doesn't apply to me. It's not about me. It's about justice. <laughs> exactly. And that's what I've been working on is trying to get um, some type of outside mental health, which my husband has come up with a program that could help you self-regulate your own mental health. Because mental health in America, not only just in prison, but in America is horrible. And I'm a, a, I can testify to that because I have my own mental health issues. And I have been in a behavioral health center that makes me feel like I'm in prison. So the whole outlook of mental health in prison need to change. And before we get any deeper into this conversation, we're going to go to a commercial break. Are you feeling unheard after a negative encounter with a law enforcement officer, sheriff, or correctional officer? Visit the Emancipate NC website to report your encounter. Any individual can use the Emancipate NC form to report a police encounter, upload video, photographs, or other evidence, and share their information with the U.S. Today's National Police Misconduct Database. Share it with your friends and family members and community. Our communities have the wisdom and the data we need to keep us safe from rude police. By crowdsourcing this information, we will be able to analyze departmental trends, mobilize campaigns for accountability, and file more effective litigation. Remember, we keep us safe. Sponsored by Emancipate NC. Yeah, we were 
were talking about your mental health bill. Tell us a little more about it. Um, like I have a perfect example. Uh, I was in lockup, and uh, it was a guy back there on lockup, and uh, he was trying to get some assistance about some of his property missing, getting missing. And you know, the guards were just kind of you know blowing them off, or whatever, whatever. So he started making a little ruckus. But the guy is mental health, and he's saying that he's asking for mental health staff, or he's asking for the nurse. But the uh, staff, would not give him any assistance. So, you know, he's yelling and making a little noise, but he's mental health, but they didn't take the time. They actually took him out, abused him, put him in a turtle suit, which is a suicide, suicide suit, but he never said nothing about hurting himself, but they did, they never they denied him assistance till the next day. In my opinion, the proper thing should have been that they should have called somebody from the mental health staff, which they probably don't have staff for that, to evaluate him, to assess him, to see if he was suicidal, not just throw him in a bubble suit because he's acting out or y'all just feel like that's what should happen. Right, correct. But these staff don't have no experience in dealing with mental health people, so I think that's another step that needs to be taken. That's why it's important. Um, I went to a convention last week with Nomni, and they had a lady that does free CP, not CPR, it's called QR training, which it will teach correctional officers how to spot suicide and basically talk somebody out of suicide. And I think that that needs to be mandatory for the correctional officers since you don't have correct mental health they need to start being able to talk to people and get them through this crisis since they're the one putting them in it by treating them the way that they treat them. Right. Like, there was a guy when I was on the yard one day, he was mental health, you know, he was just on the yard just talking to himself, you know, just rambling and stuff, you know what I mean? And um, one day he kind of got into a verbal altercation with an officer he wasn't really out of order, but he wasn't actually following the direct order properly, no. And they just really got aggressive with him because that officer just did not have the patience to deal with this person. And so just, just, just plainly mistreated this person. And the actions that I would see from, you know, going to this person, if we were in public, then <laughs> that actual officer would be getting charged. You know what I'm saying? Well, we would hope they would get charged. You know, a lot of them get off with just treating, especially people with mental health problems, any kind of way. And that's why I say, back to what I was saying before we went to commercial break, is the fact that we have to start regulating our own mental health. Because even the mental health out here, as y'all call it, the outside world, is not good. All they want to do is put you on antipsychotic medications. And I can testify to this because the other day I called because they had referred me to do some type of mental health because I'm having seizures. And the first thing she asked me was, are you willing to take medication or are you on medication? I said, no, ma'am, I take supplements. And she said the only thing they could help me with would be CBT training or therapy, and that was it. Because I didn't want to take antipsychotic medications that make your mental health 10 times worse when I've been regulating it on my own. So regulating your own mental health can do wonders. You can't let 
these people mentally mentally enslave you. They already have your body enslaved. So we have to start taking upon ourselves to not let them mentally enslave us and regulate our own mental health because really society doesn't know how to regulate mental health still. They're clueless. Right. Like, I actually see a psychologist, like, um, mental health in the computer, but I won't take no medications. And I mean, it's, to me, it's just like another drug. Mm-hmm. It does not solve your problem. Mm-hmm. And I believe when you do not solve your problems, all you do is build up and add on. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And if I'm just taking medication and it just pushes the problems to the back of my head and my problems are just adding up. Or either it can intensify your problems. Right. And coming to an actual remedy. Because medication is not a remedy. Mm-mm. They don't even bother the symptoms. It makes it worse. The problem maybe momentarily. <laughs> right. But then, you know, your problem is still there and it comes right back. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. This is why. And is is this why you think that we've had so much suicide? Because you know the suicide rate since COVID has like shot through the roof in prison, especially in North Carolina. I definitely believe so. I definitely believe so. Right. I don't see how they can actually not be able to try to design an actual remedy instead of medication when they're supposed to be the professional. Because they don't. Want to? But you think about it. The reason why they don't is because if you heal your own self, they're not going to have a job. They do it to keep you coming back, to keep you coming back to them for medical help. When a lot of this stuff, you can naturally heal it on your own. Your body is a natural healer. As long as you do the right natural things to it, your body is a natural healer. It will heal its own self. Not medication. Medication just supposedly touches the symptom. But when you have mental health, it doesn't touch your symptom at all. It can intensify it and make you have stronger thoughts of suicide or depression or PTSD or whatever mental health issue that you have going on. Medication intensifies it. Right. And I believe it has something to do with finance, like with pharmaceuticals and about money. You're right. You're absolutely right. And I used to work in a pharmacy. Right, like people have to pay for these medications. Even though we may get them free, like the system or whoever the person, you have to actually buy these medications from these pharmaceuticals. And I believe it's about, it also has to do with money. Mm-hmm. It's a billion dollar corporation. It's another right. complex. Yeah, complex. Uh, off of people. Like they are taking advantage off of people in every way they can. If you really think about it. Out of yes, yes. That's why I say the mind frame has to change. So yeah, that was very insightful. Um, is there anything else you want to speak about? Um, in the system, in the prison system, I want to touch on the prison system, right? Mm-hmm. Officers are supposed to act and conduct themselves a certain way, which is proper, which they are under oath, you know, in representation of the government. But they will train their officers a certain way. Right, but when the officers stand up 
for something that's right against another officer, say a write up, say someone gets a write up. If they know this write up is not proper and another officer corrects it, their superiors will impose like discipline on the officer for being honest. I've you know what I've I've yeah. had I've had officers come to me and complain or ex-officers come to me and complain about how they're also treated as well by superiors if they don't agree with the way that they're, they want them to treat people. Right. My sister is actually a correction officer, you know, and, you know, she tells me some of the things she has since she started. But before she was an officer, she didn't too much, you know, mm-hmm. believe that some of the things I was saying like, nah, they can't be doing that, or, nah, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Now she see. <laughs> she actually, right, and she sees exactly <clears throat> what I'm saying, what I'm talking about. Because they try to make it seem like y'all in there lying. You know what I mean? They're like, oh, well, they're lying. We're not doing that. When actionality, they are. That's why it's important. That's why I got this platform for y'all, for them to really hear from y'all, and not just hear what correctional officers say, but to hear from y'all. They will put fear in their heart just like they try to do y'all. It's no different. They treat their staff members the same way that they treat the people incarcerated if they don't agree with them, if they're not on their side. They harass them. The whole nine, they try to keep them from talking. So it's a cult. <laughs> That's what it is. It's a cult. <laughs> like, and that gets back to law. Being that they are under oath, it gets back to law when their superiors are not making them respect the law. Exactly. Because there's for no accountability. For how they are trained, it contradicts their training. But that's because they do something wrong, they also have to get a discipline. So they don't know what it is, do right or wrong and what at what time, you know what I mean? Right. They know to do what they are told. That's why they need accountability. They're told to do the right. And sometimes they are told to do the wrong thing. And they know what is wrong, but they don't want the discipline. Nine times out of ten, they're they're yeah they're doing the wrong thing, even though they know it's wrong because they're made to do it in a lot of cases. Then they have to do it. Right. Well, time is ticking, so I appreciate that insightful information. I'm sure the audience will re- really appreciate the information you just spilled because it was it was really good insightful information. So we appreciate that as an audience for giving us a, a clarity right. of what's going on. Thank you. I'm grateful for this opportunity just to say what I need to say. You know, and, um, I would love to do it at any time. I mean, we, are, we hear it all the time. Any different subject, you know, I can get into how <laughs> the Supreme Law is a big contradiction, but I'll leave that for another time. Yeah, we definitely going to do that on the next episode, but we appreciate you, though, for real. Thank you. So thank you again for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed today's show. Your host, Sierra Cobb. Take care. 